Introducing the revolutionary mascara from CoverGirl that adds extreme volume, up to 300% more volume than bare lashes. New Lash Blast Cleantopia is the plant-powered mascara made with 72% natural origin ingredients and infused with cellulose plant fibers. Cleantopia is like a green thumb for your lashes. For lush, check-me-out lashes that last up to 24 hours with no smudging, no flaking, and no clumps. Put the power of plants to work for you with new Lash Blast Cleantopia Mascara. Only from Easy Breezy Beautiful CoverGirl. From iHeart Podcast, Supreme, the battle for Roe, tells the story of the unlikely champions behind the landmark case, Roe v. Wade. Starring Maya Hawke as 26-year-old lead attorney, Sarah Weddington. We're challenging the Texas abortion laws in federal court. And Academy Award nominee, William H. Macy, as Supreme Court Justice, Harry Blackman. Time is not the most important factor. Getting it right is. Listen to the podcast, Supreme, the battle for Roe, on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Adventures in the Spirit with Jared Lasky. Our hope is that you will be encouraged and equipped through this podcast as we have conversations with friends from around the world. You can subscribe to our podcast and go to our website, firebornministries.com, and sign up for our email list to stay up to date on Fireborn Ministries. And may you have your own Adventures in the Spirit. And now we hope you enjoy today's podcast. Hey guys, thank you so very much for being part of Adventures in the Spirit. I am so excited for this incredible interview with my friend, former professor, Dr. Jim Jenkins. Guys, he's been one of my professors from Bible College at Eugene Bible College just a few years ago. Hey man, Uh, he's been a Navy Reserve chaplain for 21 years, a pastor for 40 years. He holds a doctorate in ministry from Fuller Theological Seminary. And he, he ta- he's taught numerous Bible colleges and seminary courses at the King Seminary and many others. As part of the chaplain's emergency response team, Jim and the other team members received the Distinguished Service Award for their service at Ground Zero. Guys, we're approaching the 20th anniversary of 9-11. So please welcome Dr. Jim Jenkins. Dr. Jim, thank you so much for being part of Adventures in the Spirit. Oh, my pleasure. I, uh, I was just looking at my image and realizing my hair was dark when I taught you at Bible College. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I've got... So yeah, I, I can see it. Can you know, this, it. this was deployment 2000, yeah. <laughs> 2009 or so, but Dr. Jenkins, um, you know, you and I have kept in touch over the years, and I would love for you to share some of your background for people who may not know you or be aware of you. I was just sharing my testimony recently with somebody in It's so important to rehearse that. You hear yourself tell it again. But um, I was raised Catholic, uh, really didn't have any Protestant background at all. And during the Jesus movement, somebody invited me to a meeting and it literally set me on a trajectory that changed my life. And I knew fairly early on that I was gonna uh, be a preacher and a teacher. And so I kind of changed the trajectory at the end of my college years and ended up at Melody Land School of Theology in Anaheim. And uh, we had some amazing faculty member there, uh, Dr. J. Robin Williams, who founded the Divinity School at Regent, was our president. Uh, Walter Martin was one of our instructors. We had these really incredible uh, people, but I always had in the back of my mind a burden for the military. And it was years later when we were pastoring that I finally got the right degree and the right credentialing and became a Navy Reserve Chaplain in 1988. 
And so for 20 years, I did that. And Navy chaplains do all the sea services, the Navy, the Marine Corps, and the Coast Guard. So I was with Coast Guard when 9-11 happened. Wow. Wow. So 9-11 happened. I mean, I think we can all remember, those of us that were living during that time, we can all remember where we were. I mean, my mom came, I was going to Eugene Bible College, preparing for my sophomore year. And my mom woke me up and told me that um, a plane had hit one tower. So I go downstairs because my dad had called her from work to explain that. I go downstairs, turn on the TV, watching the live coverage. And the next thing you know, the second plane hits. And I knew at that point, everything changed. How did things change for you, sir? Well, I was watching, I was in Oregon as well. And somebody called me, the church I was pastoring was in Cottage Grove, about a half hour south of the Bible College there, very close to where you're from. And um, I, uh, somebody woke me up at six o'clock in the morning, didn't even say hi, they just said, turn your television on. And I started watching the same things you described. And I saw the second plane hit and just a, a day of that and trying to process it, but I don't know how else to put this except to say, at the end of that first day, I just knew I was gonna go there. I had no idea how or why, but I knew I was gonna go there. And um, one of the last things I remember before I finally tried to lay down that night was there was an aerial shot of one of the news helicopters showing what it looked like. And, and it was so devastating to watch that, the people outside the windows waving at the news helicopters, somebody can they help? And I, and I knew I was gonna go there, but I heard this sound. You know how really good sports announcers know when to shut up and just turn the crowd noise up? Yeah. Well, this reporter had the sense to be quiet and you could hear the noise. They were already, they started a primitive bucket brigade and these people with their bare hands while it was still on fire were digging for bodies. And, but you could hear this sound. It was really, it's, it was a sound like um, your smoke alarm makes when the battery dies. There's this chirping sound. I thought, what is that? And I didn't learn until a couple of days later what it was. Every firefighter wore a thing called a pass alarm. It's a personal safety device. And if they ever get trapped or if they're ever running out of oxygen, it starts to chirp. And that sound I heard that first night was all those firefighters that were buried, over 300 of them. So I, I kind of really went into another gear thinking, I don't know how this is gonna happen, but I'm gonna end up going back there. So I called the chief of chaplain's office the next day. I was in a Coast Guard billet at the time. And um, a couple of days later, I heard that I was gonna get orders to go there. And so uh, that's how I ended up there. Wow. So then when you got there, can you describe it? I mean, I want to be very sensitive because that changed everything for us. Mm -hmm. Just as recently, certain things have changed everything for us as well. We honor you. We honor everybody that has served. You know, we honor everybody who were there at Ground Zero working hard. This changed everything. This was real and it changed people's lives. Yeah. It changed the course of our nation. Uh, and I, how did it, when you first arrived on scene, I, I mean, what, what did God 
automatically have you start thinking or doing or can you share that yeah in fact um i i thought a lot about this when i wrote this recent book and i i was um the phrase you remember the plagues in egypt yeah and there were the flies and the gnats and all that stuff but one of them was a darkness you could feel and i showed up at night first of all there were hardly anybody planes flying so I was on a 737, I think. I don't know if they had them then, whatever, a big Airbus kind of a plane. There were probably 15 people on the plane. And we were all looking at each other like, who are you? <laughs> Do you belong on this plane? I mean, it was really tense. And I got there at night. I rented a car and I had to drive to Manhattan. And so I showed up at night and in Battery Park, it was a surreal experience. There were these National Guardsmen in full, full combat gear. And, and the weapons at the ready, the rental car I checked, I ran a mirror underneath it two or three times. I had orders in hand. I was in uniform. They checked it numerous times to find out who I was. And this, this one guardsman came up to me and he saw that I was a chaplain because of the cross on my epaulets. And he was the first one to ask me. He said, hey, chaplain, what's going on? And I said, we're going to find out. But I know the Lord's going to take care of us and he's going to show us what he wants us to do. And that's kind of how it got started. But it was a darkness. You could feel it. It wasn't just physically dark. It was dark. Yeah. You know, I could. The first time I was in combat. Yeah. Darkness could be felt. Yeah. I think people that have been in situations like this, you know, uh, you could feel the darkness. This is real. There's a spiritual battle that we, we know and we understand. And sometimes these things manifest physically. And there are things in this world that are evil that, uh, that affect our lives, that changes the trajectory of things. You know, and as Christians, we bring a light into the darkness. Yeah. I mean, Dr. Jenkins, you were an inspiration to me when I was in Bible college. I didn't serve in the Marine Corps until after Bible college. I did things backwards, I guess, <laughs> you know, but I remember you coming back and sharing about it. You know, um, you, you shared some stories about what was on the scene, about Rudy Giuliani, you know, and, and things like that. Just, you know, as you ministered together, if you will, like in the Christian world, I'll say ministered together, but you were side by side with these people. Yeah. And, and can, can you share a little bit of that? Well, Ms. Mayor Giuliani in particular, okay, our day as chaplains, when I got back there, I was part of a team of chaplains. Um, and uh, so we paired off to, we each had a partner, but we met in the morning and we debriefed every night. And so the first three hours of every day, we were actually at the pile itself. This was day 12. There, every now and then an air pocket would release and flames would shoot up. The ground was mushy underneath us because we remember we're on top of a 110 story building that went down. And so it was all mushy and hot. The dogs, the rescue dogs, they were actually burning the pads of their paws and they wouldn't quit. They keep going back and searching. It was very inspiring. But anyway, so three hours at the pile. 
Then we got into a 12 passenger van, then three hours at the morgue that was set up near the medical examiner's office. That's where they had refrigerator trucks full of body parts and they were examining them too. So three hours of that. Then we got in the van and the third part of the day, we were with the families. That, that's, that's when it really hit home, you know, the gravity of all this. So enter Mayor Giuliani. About halfway through my time there, the city of New York decided, people asked them, family members asked them and, and they agreed. They wanted to see ground zero because this was the only grave any of them were gonna see. And so they arranged for a passenger ferry on the other end of Manhattan at a giant pier building to take them 50 at a time around Manhattan, get out at Wall Street, walk about an eighth of a mile, and then they had a staging area. And that's where they would see it. So the first trip, Giuliani was there. Now, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story about that before that, though. This was, I get goosebumps when I remember it. Uh, he had a point person, her name was Dr. Grace Telesco. We called her Amazing Grace. She was, she was perfect for this. She was a psychologist, but she was so sensitive with those families. So that very first trip, 50 people are just sitting in rows. It was, it was so stark. I, didn't, I just prayed, Lord, don't let me say anything stupid or careless. You know, help me. So I, I just, I'm sitting there taking this in. So she's introducing what's going to happen. And she's telling these family members, she said, um, okay, this, you've asked for this. You wouldn't be here unless you asked that we would do this. Here's what's going to happen. In a moment, we're going to get on a passenger ferry, explained it. I didn't know the mayor was there yet. But uh, so Dr. Telesco said, before we do that, I want to introduce, and she introduced us, the chaplains, some other mental health professionals were there. Then she said, there's one other group I want to tell you about. Oh man, I almost tear up when I remember it. She said, these people came on their own dime, on their own initiative to be with you here today because they feel like they may be the only people on earth that know what you're going through right now. And she had them stand up and she said, every one of these people lost a loved one at the Oklahoma City bombing and they came here to be with you today. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so that's how we got started. So then we, we, we loaded... I went and knelt down in front of every one of those people that I could talk to. So I made sure I was looking up at them and not, you know, being sensitive about posture. And so there was one man that I, I had an eye on because he didn't look well. I, I worried about him. He looked like he was going to have a heart attack or something. So then I saw Giuliani came on the ferry and he didn't have a whole lot of security or no cameras. It wasn't like that. It was just this guy. And I was just stunned by how much he was involved at every level. So we get there. We get out of the ferry. Stockbrokers and people came out of their buildings and took their hats and put them over their hearts. We made this little procession. We get there. When people finally saw it, some of them screamed. Some of them threw up. Some of them fainted. So Giuliani gets there and, and he's maybe five feet in front of me and he's, he's facing, he's got behind him, there's this rubble. And he says, I'm, just gonna, I'm not gonna talk a lot, but I just wanna get you oriented as to what you're looking at. He said, tower one was here. And so the guy that I was worried about started breathing real, he didn't look right. Then he got agitated. Then he came over and he said, he started yelling at the mayor. 
He's saying, this is all your fault. This is all your fault. My son, my son, it's all your fault. And then he, his knees buckled. I grabbed one arm. Giuliani grabbed his other arm. And Giuliani was just patting the man's chest saying, I'm so sorry about your son. I mean, I, whatever you say about him, Giuliani, I mean, during that season of time, his leadership was on par with Winston Churchill in my mind in World War II, the leadership that Churchill took during the bombing of London. He was everywhere, as ubiquitous. He was everywhere I turned, he was there. And he went to almost every firefighter funeral. Yes, sir. Now, these are the stories that we need to hear. Here it is 20 years after, coming up this September 11th, 20 years after, we've been at war. Uh, I'm, you know, Iraq, Afghanistan, I'm a veteran of both theaters of, of the war on terror. We need to hear these stories of um, leadership, of heroes. And that's why, you know, you're, I'm capturing your story. I want people to know your story, Dr. Jenkins. I want people to know about Ground Zero. I want people to know the truth, you know, and you and I both know Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. So what were the lessons that God taught you from Ground Zero? Uh, you've already mentioned you've got this book, and it's titled From Rubble to Redemption, and I'm so excited to have been played a part in that. I'm excited that our mutual friend, Crystal Cupper, I'm giving her a shout out, my wife's best friend, giving Crystal a big shout out was part of the process. But Dr. Jenkins, what, are, what is a lesson that God taught you while you were there that you could share with us that I, I would say, I guess, is part of the book? Well, two things occurred to me. One was on one of those trips. We took, I forget how many a day, 50 at a time. You can imagine. So this one, I have a whole host of memories about individuals, but this one little lady came to mind, very diminutive person and everybody reacted differently, but she, she looked, I couldn't get a read on her. And so we're, we're taking the ferry ride over and she came up to me and she said, when we get there, take me, take me to the man in charge. And I thought, okay, I, I didn't know exactly how to respond to that. I know what she was, she was still hoping, it was her husband, she was still hoping that she was going to, I, you know what she said to me after I said, they're looking in the wrong place, they must be, I know where he is. And when she saw it, her knees just buckled and she grabbed onto my clothes and she looked up at me and she said, um, they're never going to find him, are they? Now here's the part about the Holy Spirit. Those are the moments, man, you know this. You know this. I know you know this. You, you hit something and you think, I can either get my paws all over this and try to think of something. In fact, you prayed right before we started. Holy Spirit, take charge. <laughs> I didn't say anything and I thought, and I, here's the uh, an important phrase, I think. May I? I didn't say this is what you, I said, may I pray with you? She said, yes. And I, I said, Lord, you know where he is. Now, would you help this dear lady find out where you are right now? Oh, wow. Times like that. Just Holy Spirit kind of directed moments where you just, you just knew what to do. 
and and I don't know how else to put it, but I mean, I had an, numerous times like that where I, I just was, uh, something occurred to me to say that I wouldn't normally have said. But there was another time there were these five siblings, adult siblings, and uh, it was their mom that died. And they were just, they were almost holding on to me. And we got down there and, and they just screamed when they saw it. And so uh, we were coming back and, and uh, before we left, I had asked their permission to do something. I said, here's the trip. We're going to, on the way over there, I said, it's going to be the hardest day of your life. Um, if I may, I'm just going to be with you. But I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask your permission. When we get ready to leave, I'm going to ask you to do something. Is that all right? And they all looked at me a little bit tentative, like, what's that all about? And so we got down there and they, they just wailed. It was horrible. And it was their mom. You know? and so after it was all over, I said, um, remember what I asked you? Be okay if I did that? And I said, yeah. So we're getting ready to leave. I said, look out at the pile one more time now, only this time. Don't look at all the destruction. Look up at all these machines, all these backhoes and, and grapplers, and look at all the people that have come from all over the world to help look for your mom. And they looked up and, and they said, you know, we'll never forget that. And I said, you know what? I'm never going to forget it either. And almost as soon as I said that, this guy got off of his, his backhoe, came down, took his heart out, put it over his heart. There were moments like that, you know, and, and I can't praise enough the people that worked there. Oh, my goodness. Right. That, I, those are the memories I have of people that never left. There were some people, I was there at day 12. There were some firefighters that had not been home yet. And there was next to their equipment, they were looking for their buddies from their firehouse. So those, those are some of the inspiring things I think of when, but all the while, the Holy Spirit, when I would talk to somebody, I always said, may I? Or I would say, you know, I feel like the Lord is showing me something. May I share it with you? Just that little caveat is so important with people because it, it makes them feel safe, I think. Especially in an environment like that, it would have been very easy to, to make a careless mistake, and I didn't want to. Right. So then just recently, you're led by the Holy Spirit to capture your true story and, and write this book, From Rebel to Redemption. How did the Holy Spirit lead you uh, to transcribe it, and what was the process like? Well, I've been tucking notes away for years. I, I just wanted one day to maybe write something for my grandkids. So that one day they could look back and say, Papa Jim was involved with this or something. But I also knew that I had a hunch I might write about it one. But certainly on the 10th anniversary, I knew I was supposed to write something because already by the 10th anniversary, people were forgetting the history. I mean, those memories could extinguish quickly. On the 10th anniversary, there was a big controversy about the Ground Zero Mosque. There was a group that wanted to put an Islamic center right near ground zero. And so that's when I really started to say, wait a minute, I better chronicle what happened here. And so I started kind of tucking stuff away. But as the, we neared the 20th anniversary, I knew I was supposed to do it. Then I got a lot of help and a lot of people's encouragement and uh, connected with a publisher. And, and uh, so I and 
Can I tell you one story that, that no, totally. you just have to, and I have to do it right now or I'll forget it and I'm old. <laughs> but the Lord did that for me too. I, I'm, I'm saying, yes, the Holy Spirit used me to talk to people, but he ministered to me in such a powerful way. One day I really did hit a wall. I thought if I see one more person crying, I don't think I could stand it. I mean, I, I could smell death on my clothes from the morgue. And it was just, so this one day we were in that van and we were coming back to where the families were. And this, this ship had been there. I just never saw it. I, I was so wrapped up, I never saw it. I pulled my hard hat down over my eyes. I was in the back. I wanted everybody to think I was just taking a nap. But I, I just didn't want to talk to anybody. And I was praying in the spirit. And they hit a bump. And I pushed my hard hat up. And there's this giant white hospital ship. The USF, USS, USNS Comfort. And I thought, literally, the comforters come alongside to help. And I was buoyed up by that, was able to do a couple more things. But then I ran into another lady who came up and didn't speak English. She was desperate. She saw the crosses. And she's grabbing my, she wants to communicate, and she couldn't. I didn't have an interpreter. And so I, I just touched my chest, and I went like this, asking her if I could pray, and I did. And she walked away and said, Amen, and just left. And I wondered, but then I, I did hit a wall got as far away as I could from anywhere to the end of this giant pier building, sat down. Did you ever get this feeling somebody's watching you? Oh, yes. But there's nobody there. I, got, I went as far away as I could get, right? So I'm sitting down on the concrete floor, pulled my heart out, and I put my head in my knees just to breathe and gather myself. thought nobody's going to be served if I start blubbing here. So I get this feeling somebody's watching me. I look up. And there's this German shepherd staring at me. Dog came over and put his head in my lap. Let me pet him. And the tears came. It was this incredible release. And I, I said to the lady, I said, what, what's the dog's name? And I thought she said, Bruno. I said, Bruno. So I tickled his ears some more. And I, I just felt okay. I got back into it. So I had it the rest of my time there. Came back to Oregon. Two or three years after I get back to Oregon, I go to visit, you know, the hospital. I, I went to go to Sacred Heart Hospital at the time. There was a little girl from our church was in the pediatric unit. And I have to say, about this time, I was starting to have some PTSD kind of stuff happen. Hmm. So I go in to see this little girl. I come out in the hallway. And uh, there's a German shepherd in the hallway. And I looked at him. I, I said, Bruno? jumped up on me and I looked at the lady and I said ground zero and she said yeah we were there wow it was him so I'm not done it gets crazier than this I still haven't had the horse sense to ask the lady her name I was so wrapped up with the dog and I kind of wow. moved on I still didn't get her contact information make a long story short 17 years later I found out who it was I just recently met with her she lives in Cottage Grove, where I was pastoring. And I was, I met one of Uno's offspring. He's now long gone, but Lucy came up and started licking my face. Wow. I mean, what do you, just wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Sir, 
I'd like for you, it would be an honor to have you pray the prayer of comfort, uh, prayer of comfort over anybody who might be going through a tough time right now. Absolutely. Uh, you talk about the comforter, the Holy Spirit is with you. You shared these stories of the, the power of the Holy Spirit, which I'm grateful that, that um, you've written these, that you shared these. I wanted, I honestly wanted you to come on here, share what God did. And I feel the holiness of the Holy Spirit right now. I feel, you know, somber. I feel, you know, um, I feel that the touch of the Holy Spirit. I want people who are listening to this to experience it as well. So would you pray for us? In fact, I just tell you real quick, there's a, the chaplain, the number, first victim that they chronicled at the medical examiner's office was a chaplain, Father Michael Judge. And he had this little card that he had said, Lord, take me where you want me to go. Let me meet who you want me to meet. Tell me what you want me to say and keep me out of your way. Holy Spirit, this is all about broken things and broken people and debris and rubble and loss. But it's so much more than that. It's about you in the midst of it, touching people, coming alongside to help. Uh, giving very specific guidance, ministering to people at their, at their point of the deepest pain they'll ever feel in their lives. I do pray for those that are experiencing brokenness right now. Perhaps they've lost their job. Perhaps they've lost their health or a loved one is critically ill. I, I, I pray that, Lord, you would come alongside like that ship I saw. Holy Spirit, come alongside for the people who are dealing with the rubble in their life. Sometimes the rubble is because of our own choices. Even still, come and, and help us to build from that rubble into a relationship with you that's current. Because uh, you, you said it in your word. The wormwood and the gall and the bitterness, my soul continually thinks of it. And, is, and thus it is bowed deep within me. But this one thing I call to mind, and thus I have hope, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O God. Amen. 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 Dr. Jenkins, what is the best way for people to get a hold of your ministry, but also your book, From Rubble to Redemption? Well, I have a, a website called the Jude 3 Fellowship. Jude 3 is contending for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So the Jude 3 Fellowship and then uh, the books are available on uh, Barnes and Noble and Amazon. And uh, Called Writers is the publisher. And um, just in general, all the contact information will be available there. But I so appreciate you taking the time, and I want to thank you for your service. I mean, when I heard later on, I'd lost track of you for all these years. And so somebody told me there was this article by Jared Lasky, and I thought, how many Jared Laskys are there? And it was you, and I read this, and I thought, wow, look at how the Lord used that guy. But I am not naive about the price you paid to do it, and I so admire you for doing what you're doing now, and thank you for letting me be on. Well, sir, it was an honor. It was a pleasure. Anybody watching, anybody listening, please reach out 
to my friend, Dr. Jim Jenkins and get his book from Rubble to Redemption. Um, I, I interview all kinds of amazing people. We promote books, uh, but guys, this one, you need to get it. We're approaching the 20th anniversary of 9-11, a day that changed all of our lives, that changed our nation, changed the world. And I, I was able to read this recently. And uh, guys, it's, it's packed. People need this. People need to learn the lessons that Dr. Jenkins gives. Uh, and also just to receive and see his heart. Dr. Jenkins, thank you so much for being part of Adventures in the Spirit. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to our conversation in Adventures in the Spirit. We hope that this podcast encouraged and inspired you to press into Jesus and launches you into your own adventure. You can stay up to date with Fireborn Ministries by going to our website, firebornministries.com, and like us on Facebook. And may you have your own adventures in the spirit. From iHeart Podcast, Supreme, the battle for Roe, tells the story of the unlikely champions behind the landmark case, Roe v. Wade. Starring Maya Hawk as 26-year-old lead attorney, Sarah Weddington. We're challenging the Texas abortion laws in federal court. And Academy Award nominee, William H. Macy, as Supreme Court Justice, Harry Blackman. Time is not the most important factor. Getting it right is. Listen to the podcast, Supreme, the battle for Roe, on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.